And I learned about financial independence when I was getting my master's. And the thing about when I was getting my master's, I was like, oh, they're going to teach me all about personal finance. <laughs> and they didn't. I think no. I literally like took one class where we talked about like personal finance. And that, that was my favorite class. But at that time, I had already like read so much blogs. I had read uh, Mr. Money Massage, and I really loved like the concept of financial independence. And because I was feeling burned out from working full time and going to school, I was like, oh, I want to become financially independent. So that's how I learned. Hey, this is Allison, and welcome to the Inspire Budget Podcast, where we talk all things budgeting, debt, and saving money. Today, we have Israel and Sunem Tovar, who are two first-gen Latino siblings who founded the Dream Teacher Project. Through an anti-racist, culturally responsive lens, they empower teachers of color to get their money right and reclaim their agency in an incredibly challenging profession. The moment I saw their email come through my inbox asking to be on the podcast, I knew that I wanted to have them on since I was a teacher and my husband is a teacher. This is definitely something that is close to my heart. Let's go ahead and dive in and chat with both of them. Welcome, Sunem and Israel. I'm so happy that you're here to share your story and everything that you're doing on the Inspire Budget Podcast. Thank you so much for having us here. We're big fans. Yeah, we're so excited, Allison to be here with you and have this really great conversation with you. Yes. I mean, when you guys reached out to me via email, I immediately knew like, absolutely. I need to have y'all on because I think that you're doing such important work out there. But before we dive into what you're doing, I know that it all comes with a story, right? So I want you to tell me a little bit about your childhood. I know you are siblings. Is that correct? That's yes, correct. That's correct. Tell us a little bit about your childhood and maybe some of the pivotal things that happened in your life that have landed you to where you are today. For sure. So both of us grew up in Tijuana, Mexico, in Los Angeles and Nashville, very different places. Yeah. And we unfortunately grew up very low income. Our dad supported a family of eight on a yearly salary of $17,000, $500 a year in LA. Granted, that was back in the early 2000s, but that's still a little bit of money to support a family of eight. We have five siblings, right? Uh, or we have, there's six of us in total. And because of that, like we grew up uh, with a lot of money trauma, which we'll talk about uh, later. My dad brought us to the U.S. initially because he wanted us to learn English. He wanted us to have more access to opportunities. And he wanted to take us back to Mexico. Uh, obviously, that didn't happen. In fact, we moved further from Mexico to Nashville. And moving to Nashville was such a formative experience for us because we had grown up in like predominantly Mexican-American, Mexican communities, right? And so moving to Nashville in, the, in 2006, which now Nashville has changed significantly now. But at that time, we were one of the few uh, Latinos there. And so we didn't quite fit like the racial binary. It was mostly black and white communities. And so we got questions of like, where are you from? Where are you really from? And so that was like mm -hmm. such a formative experience for us to like grapple with our racial existence in the U.S. I ended up doing really well at school. I went to Yale for undergrad and then I got my master's in education at Stanford. Wow. Um, I could go ahead and share mine. So like Isla yes. said, we're siblings. He's the youngest. Um, I'm a little older than him. But yeah, so we grew up with 
like scarcity mindset because we grew up in poverty. So we didn't have a lot of money. And a story that I remember when I was 11 is that I wanted to actually be in band, but I never asked my dad to like actually give me the money because you had to rent the instrument. And at that time, I already knew like, oh, my parents don't have money. So I should not ask for, for them to give me money. And that kind of like stayed with me until I was an adult, like, you know, I shouldn't be asking because the answer is going to be no. After that, like, when we moved to Nashville, I, I was actually in high school, and I ended up going to college here, I got my psychology degree. And I really enjoyed learning about psychology, but I realized that I was not going to be making any money with a <laughs> psychology degree. So I decided to go get my master's in finance and I really enjoyed it because I did, I'm like a numbers person. So it was really interested to learn. The only thing was that I was like the only Latina in my master's mm -hmm. program. Everybody was like, it was a male, like men and white. And we had a few women of color there, but it was mainly men. Yeah, I really enjoyed doing that. And I learned about financial independence when I was getting my master's. And the thing about when I was getting my master's, I was like, oh, they're going to teach me all about personal finance. <laughs> and they didn't. I think no. I literally like took one class where we talked about like personal finance. And that, that was my favorite class. <laughs> but at that time, I had already like read so much blogs. I had read uh, Mr. Money Mustache. And I really love like the concept of financial independence. And because I was feeling burned out from working full time and going to school, I was like, Oh, I want to become financially independent. So that's how I learned about finance, mm -hmm. personal oh. finance. I know I sent you guys a list of questions, but <laughs> I might ask you other questions along the way, if that's okay. <laughs> Your story, Sunem, about not wanting to ask your, your parents to do band. I mean, I know that hits close to home, especially in our family, because my husband's a band director. Mm. And what's crazy is that as a child, you didn't know that there might have been resources out mm. there, but it was just that fear of putting a burden on your parents and what a heavy weight to hold as a child. Because, you know, one of the things that my husband does when he does promote band to the incoming sixth graders is like, listen, if money's a problem, I've got you covered because that's why they, you know, they have the money, they have the money in his district to be able to make it to where you literally pay nothing. He'll cover everything. And so I think that that's a heavy burden. And it sounds like that's just one small example of what you guys went through as, as children. And I'm, I want to hear more about some of the money trauma that you've encountered. And then how are you getting over it? Because I think that so many people experience money trauma and they let it impact them forever. But obviously you guys have said, okay, no, no more of this. We're going to do something to change it. So what's some of that trauma? And then what do you, have you been doing? What active steps have you been taking to pull yourselves out of that? Yeah, so we, like our story show, we did face, unfortunately, a lot of money trauma. Poverty instilled in us a scarcity mindset, right? There was never enough. Our parents were always worrying about their finances. So even going like $20, $50 over budget a month would cause like deep anxiety to my parents, mm -hmm. right? Because it was like really, really tight finances. And so we grew up with a lot of scarcity mindset because of poverty. We also... Our immigrant background also impacted our mindset, right? We, I was undocumented for eight years. And so like I was socialized to not advocate for myself. I had to improve my advocacy skills, right? 
because it's like if you're if you don't have legal status in the U.S., you're always in in danger of being deported, mm-hmm. and so you always have to say yes, never cause any trouble,、mm-hmm. you know, not have boundaries because you're here to survive, right? And I also had instilled in me a, a DIY mindset, right? Like I can do everything on my own. Right, I don't need help. I'm gonna do this on my own, and so like all of those things really have pushed me to like have deep reflection, so I can have a mindset shift from saving to investing. Because you know, like investing is something that we don't learn about, and it's it's you know you learn about like the the math behind it, right? Compound interest X, Y, and C, but we don't talk about how like your lived experience really impacts your mindset, your money mindset, and how like me growing up as an immigrant, me growing up poor. Made it uncomfortable for me to invest and to have、mm-hmm. be comfortable with this idea of like making my money work for me. Like, no,、mm-hmm. I should be working for my money, right? So it's、yeah. also mindset, and that's a product of our backgrounds. And I also faced so gro- like given that I had experienced this experience with money growing up, like I fa- faced a wealth shock when I went to high school, went to predominantly white wealthy high、oh、school, and that was the first time ever like that I was like, well, people have money to like hire tutors, people have money to like do X, Y, and Z, and. It was even more impactful wealth shock when I went to Yale. Like you know,、oh, I、yeah. was first in, <laughs> low income, and people were taking trips. It felt so uncomfortable to be in the dining halls and have black and brown people, people from my community, like washing my dishes, serving me food. It was、mm-hmm. very, very uncomfortable. But at the same time, being at a place like Yale helped me instill in me an abundance mindset because. There's so much wealth at that campus. There's so many opportunities at that campus, and I just felt like I I deserve those opportunities, and I was able to like take advantage of those opportunities. And money easily came to me because I was at a place where there's so many opportunities, right? And so even though it was challenging to be at Yale, being a first-gen low-income student of color, like the, being at that campus really instilled in me abundance and. Going to teaching actually brought me back to scarcity mindset. Unfortunately, oh yes,、um, we'll talk more about that, right? Because our, you know, we're severely underworked and 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 we're over, really over overworked and underpaid, right? And so that really impacted my money mindset. And so I also intentionally had to improve my relationship with money while getting my money right and building wealth because we firmly believe that it's as important, not more important, working on your money mindset and healing from that money trauma than getting. Wealth, because you can have millions of dollars invested in the stock market, millions of dollars in your bank account, but it, because of poverty, if you grow up poor, you can still feel like you're going to lose it the next day. Yes, but you'll still have that anxiety. Yeah, and then and then, are you really happy?、Mm-hmm. Right?、Part. Do you have peace of mind? Do you have security? Even though your bank account says yes, your your mind is saying no, and、mm-hmm. that's like that's that money trauma that leads leads to financial anxiety. Really. Yeah, yeah, and like something like when you grow up with financial anxiety, like it could manifest in like you becoming a spender、mm-hmm. or you becoming like a hoarder.、Mm-hmm. And for me, when I got to college and I started making money,、um, I actually became a spender because I'm like, oh, I was deprived from all these things, so I went ahead and just spend my money mindlessly and basically like an Amazon purchases. I don't even know what they were, but I just became a spender. I was just I didn't even know what was going on. With my money, I just knew it came in and went out. And when I would check my bank account, I was like, "Oh, I only have like three dollars left." And I think I got overdrafted like once, and then that、mm-hmm. was like a helping stone. Like, oh, I need to change something.、Mm-hmm. And also, like, I did leave college with like student loans. Um, it wasn't a lot, but I did have that student loan, and then I got a brand new car. 
And I had like $42,000 in debt just coming out of college. And I was like a spender during that time. So I'm like, oh, something has to change. And that was because like, you know, we were talking about our financial trauma and how like you can be a spend, you can become a spender or a hoarder. And during that moment, I was a spender. And then did you flip flop? Like once you realized, did you go from one extreme to a next? Yes. (laughs) I did. So I actually like after I was like, Oh, I want to become debt free. I became like I was really into like paying off my debt. But once I like paid off my debt, I like started investing, like very aggressively, like I didn't give myself permission to spend, Mm -hmm. which was, I guess that's kind of like hoarding your money in a way, even though I was investing it because I was depriving myself. Yeah. So yeah, I went from a spender to a hoarder. And now like, now I'm trying to become like, in between like I'm giving myself room to still spend on things but still invest but I'm not investing as aggressively anymore today's episode is brought to you by my free debt-free roadmap if you have debt and you're trying to become debt-free you know that it's sometimes a little bit overwhelming to figure out how to reach your end goal and sometimes paying off debt is not as simple as it seems which is why you need a roadmap fast in this free debt-free roadmap you're going to get the seven easy steps to follow that will set you up for actual success on your debt-free journey And I'll be sharing with you the three most common mistakes holding people back from paying off debt so that you can avoid them every single month. Plus, you'll get free resources sent straight to your inbox every single week. Go to inspirebudget.com slash debt free to get instant access or click the link in my show notes right now. So I'm curious to know how your parents feel about what you're doing now. And like how you've grown up and I mean, can you, can you share that with me? No. Yeah. So my parents are actually happy about like that. We're actually um, increasing our wealth. Uh, They're proud of us, but something is that they don't really know how to invest themselves and they, it seems like they don't really want to learn, but they are, they are for sure really proud of us. Well, I want to know now what you guys are doing together to make an impact for sure so we are the co-founders of the dream teacher project and we empower teachers of color specifically to get their money right and build generational wealth i was a teacher for five years i taught in san jose california nashville tennessee and washington dc i taught all sorts of different subjects in social studies so i taught mexican-american history i taught u.s middle school u.s history and i taught world history and ap world history um, in high school So I hold teachers near and dear to my heart. Unfortunately, a lot of teachers are being pushed out of the classroom. There's a huge teacher shortage because all teachers are severely underpaid and overworked, right? And financial education and empowerment is very important to all teachers across the board, right? Because unfortunately, we don't make enough for everything that we do, right? Uh, But teachers of color in particular are being actively pushed out of the profession, even at alarmingly high rates. You know, we're seen as disciplinarians. We're microaggressed, right? We feel very lonely. Sometimes we're the only teacher of color in the school building, right? 80% of the teaching workforce are are white educators. And so it's only 20 of us, right? We also face something that Sunem and I talk about called the racial wealth debt. It's not, we don't see it as as a gap. It's a debt. Like the U.S. owes people of color, black and brown, indigenous people of color, 
money because this country was built on our backs mm -hmm. and the wealth is continuing to build on our backs. And so the U.S. actually owes us money instead of us not getting enough money. So we shift the blame from the individual to the system, right? And unfortunately, as, as teachers of color, we tend to be um, overworked and underpaid. We also tend to carry three generations on our back on a teacher's salary, right? So our yes. parents, ourselves, mm -hmm. and when we decide to have children, our children, right? So that's mm -hmm. three generations. Now, we can talk about financial boundaries and what that looks like for that, right? But many of us, unfortunately, do have that financial responsibility. And so mm -hmm. teachers of color in particular are being pushed out. And so we are leverage helping teachers of color leverage money as a tool to reclaim their agency, the profession, gain more financial peace, and build uh, generational wealth. Wow. I love that. I love it because it hit close, it hits close to home to you. It hits close to home to me because the truth is, is that many people do have that responsibility. Like you said, those three generations and you do what you have to do for your family mm -hmm. and on a teacher's salary, nearly, nearly impossible. Yep right? Doable sometimes, but nearly impossible. And what's sad is that it makes people want to leave the position that they might love in search for something else that mm -hmm. pays more and is more lucrative, which, Hey, I mean, I, I don't blame them. Yeah. You can't blame them for that. So I guess, you know, we're shifting to teachers. What is one thing that you think that teachers can do to help develop that financial security, even if it means that they don't want to leave the profession, because we still need good people in those spots. We still need our children to have people of color as teachers. Like that is so important for their, for them to see teachers in those leadership positions, people of color in those leadership positions in the school. Yeah. And something we usually tell teachers of color is to deepen their financial literacy. So like learn the language of money, learn that money can actually like help you build wealth. And that's really important because yeah, your salary might not be as much and teachers deserve to be paid more because I've been to all the, the, the schools that I taught at and I've talked to a lot of teachers of color and they are definitely overworked. But yeah, like learning the language of money is so important because you're going to be able to use that money to get more agency. So mm -hmm. if you're able to like create an emergency fund, start investing, create a budget, you're going to have more agency to be able to speak up for your students. Like you're mm -hmm. like, okay, well, if they fire me for saying what I have to say, it's fine because I have that money there to be able to pivot somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think that's so important. My husband I think if he were to be an administrator, he would probably lose his job because he would speak his <laughs> mind and he would speak his mind on behalf of his students and the right thing. And I think that parents would probably come after him, but he very much believes, you know what, I'm going to say what I need to say. And, and if I lose my job, we're in a financial position to handle that. And so him being able to speak up and have his band play the black national anthem in mm. his school and deal with the parents. If there's complaints yeah. that comes from him, our family being financially secure. 
Mm-hmm. He wouldn't have the courage necessarily to do something mm-hmm. like that and stand up and, you know, have an impact on these children in a way that has nothing to do with music if we didn't have that foundational money piece in place. Exactly. And we also highlight that beyond that, having our money right helps us rest more, mm-hmm. right? Like oftentimes, because we're so underpaid, we tend to as teachers, we tend to have like two jobs during the school year, then a side hustle during the sum- yeah. summer, right? But when we learn how we can leverage money to work for us, we start investing our money, we make our money work for us instead of us working for our money. Like, yeah, we're still going to continue to not get paid for what we're uh, should be getting paid, but we're, we are making our money work for us. And therefore we have our money right and don't have to work during the summers anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Because we, our investments are growing on their own now. Right. Or having financial peace. is just like yeah. so critical because we already have so many stressors as teachers and just like not having to worry about our finances. is so it's like a game changer, right? Mm-hmm. It's a game changer. And so we really empower teachers to like leverage money as a tool to like, live the life that you want and that you deserve. If you do want to stay in the classroom long-term and you want to build wealth, yes, it's much more challenging with our salary, but we can still do it, right? Mm-hmm. We still have power. We still have agency, even though we're not getting paid what we're supposed to be getting paid. I love it. It's so true. Well, I think you guys are doing such good, important work out there. And I hope that if anyone is listening, whether you're a teacher or not, I want you to take this episode and I want you to literally share it and text it to someone that you know is a teacher. And in the link in the show notes, I'm going to put your website so that way more teachers can get information. But can you share with everyone also where they can learn more about you guys and what you're doing? Yeah, they can learn about us through our Instagram. We're really active there. It's the Dream Teacher Project. And we share a lot of financial tips, especially for teachers of color. We're also like building a community so that if you are trying to look for a community of teachers who are trying to become financial leader, like come join us. Yes. And I'll link to Instagram and your website down in the show notes. At the end of every interview, I love to ask my guests, in this case, three questions just to learn more about you outside of your childhood, outside of what you're doing to help teachers, just Sunem and Israel as people. My first question is, what's something you're looking forward to? We love these questions. So thank you for asking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know if I mentioned this, but I am currently traveling. I left the classroom this past school year in mid-June, and I was living in Washington, D.C. for the past three years. But now, since leaving D.C., July 1st, I've been bopping around with Sunem. I'm currently in Tijuana, Mexico, which is where I'm from. And I'll be going to Mexico City next month, which I'm very much looking forward to. I'm going to be staying there for all of September. So that's something that I... I'm looking forward to also like I'll be traveling for the foreseeable future and I'm enjoying it so far. Oh, that's exciting. What about you, Sunem? Yeah. So something that I'm actually looking forward to is spending money on experiences that bring me joy because like I was saying, like before I was like investing most of my money, but now I'm in a place where I'm like, oh, I don't feel like I need to invest a lot. So I'm looking forward to spending more on things that bring me joy. Like what? So I really enjoy traveling um, and also like self-care. So Mm -hmm. I'm spending more on like skincare routine because I'm going to turn 30 soon. So making sure that I'm aging well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, travel and food, of course. 
Oh, I love <laughs> I'm it. I'm a foodie too. So my next question is, what's one money mistake that you've made that you would tell everybody to avoid? Um, so I would say that I used to see money as something to accumulate rather than a tool to leverage to lead the lives that we deserve and desire. So just shifting that mindset is something that I wish I would have done earlier. Wow, that's powerful. Can you repeat that? For sure. So seeing money as something to accumulate rather than a tool to leverage to lead the lives that we desire and deserve. Oh, I love it. What about you, Sunem? For me, it was don't get more student loans than you actually need. I unfortunately, like I wasn't taught this. I like my older siblings had gotten student loans to like just spend on whatever. And I don't think I needed as much student loans, but I decided to go ahead and get some just because I'm like, oh, everybody's doing it. I should also. And nobody told me that I had to pay interest on it because I was 18, didn't really know anything. So I definitely recommend that if you're thinking about getting student loans, just get the ones that you actually need. Do not get more because you do have to pay interest on them in the future. And they add up quick. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. I did that same thing. And my husband had a lot of student loan debt because he just took out what they offered him. And Mm -hmm. they typically offer you a lot more than you need. And it's so wild, Allison, that they have 18 year olds. Know. you know, take out these loans. And we don't, we're, we're not even, our frontal lobe has to even like fully develop. Exactly. You know? Exactly. I completely agree. Okay. So my favorite question, saving it for last, I just want you to complete this sentence is my favorite thing I've ever spent money on is travel. For me, it's travel too. We're both similar. Yeah. I definitely enjoy traveling. Um, I enjoy spending my money there. That That's the one thing that doesn't bring me like, oh, get, like guilt, like, oh, I shouldn't be spending money there. No, I'm like, yeah, I don't care. Take my money. You, you know what I wonder that I just thought about? I feel like a lot of people say travel and I'm the same way. Like I love traveling. I wonder if I mean, I'm 35. I feel like my parents didn't travel. Like we never went on trips. We would go camping. We took like one big vacation growing up. And I wonder if part of that is just access to internet and social media and you are opening your eyes to more of what's out there. And so our younger generation sees travel as something that's important. Whereas in our childhood, maybe it wasn't because people didn't, they weren't aware do you think that's do you think that's a thing? I don't know. I just Yeah, I think so too. And also like if you see commercials, like now it's like travel, like oh travel and then like the the brand of the hotel. Mm-hmm. Um so I definitely think it is like a cultural difference. Um mm-hmm. because before I don't think I would see commercials about traveling and now that's basically all I see. But I wonder if I only see it because I like to travel. <laughs> <laughs> the internet has just gotten so smart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, Well, thank you guys for joining me on the podcast. I think that it's what you're doing is wonderful. I'm so excited for the impact that you're going to make in so many people's lives. And, you know, I would love to have you back on one day to just maybe even share stories of some of the teachers that you've helped. Yeah, we would love to come back. Um, Allison, as we mentioned, we're both a huge fan. We're so honored to have shared this space with you and uh, share our, our experiences with you. So thank you so much for having us. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much. Thanks. I'll see you later. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Inspire Budget Podcast. I have a feeling that you know someone that is a teacher. I feel like 
We all have people that we love or we know or we are friends with that are in the classroom. I would absolutely love it if you would take this podcast episode and just send it to them. You can share it with them via text message, on social media, or tell them about it in particular because I feel like so many teachers need to hear this message. I'll be back next week on Thursday with another episode. See you then.